The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 199 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is family caregivers helping family members overcome alcoholism. Alcoholism is a chronic and often progressive disease in which persons experience problems like controlling drinking, being preoccupied with alcohol, continuing to use the alcohol even when it causes problems, having to drink more to get the same effect, having withdrawal symptoms when drinking decreases or stops, being unable to consistently predict how much they'll drink, for how long they'll be drinking, or what the consequences will be that follow the drinking. Problem drinking is when persons drink too much at times, causing repeated problems in their lives, even though they haven't yet become alcoholics. Binge drinking is when men consume five or more drinks in a row, or when women consume at least four drinks in a row. Binge drinking may lead to the problems associated with alcoholism, and it often occurs with teenagers and young adults. Persons denying a problem with alcohol is usually part of alcoholism and excessive drinking. And persons with alcoholism may be unable to cut back or quit without help, which is why our topic, Family Caregivers Helping Family Members Overcome Alcoholism, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Michael Bryant. Michael is a Harvard-educated lawyer, a former Ontario cabinet minister and a university lecturer. From 2003 to 2007, he was Ontario's youngest ever Attorney General and served in the portfolios of Aboriginal Affairs, Economic Development and Democratic Renewal, and he was also Government House Leader. He clerked at the Supreme Court of Canada for the current Chief Justice, was litigator at McCarthy Tetro Law Firm, and was senior advisor at Norton Rose Law Firm. He's lectured in law at King's College London and was adjunct professor at University of Toronto and Osgoode Hall Law School. He's now a lecturer at the University of Toronto in political science and a fellow at the Rotman School of Management. He's a principal at Ishkonigan Consulting, led by former First Nations National Chief Phil Fontaine. 
He recently authored 28 Seconds, A True Story of Addiction, Tragedy, and Hope. And he lives with his two young children in Toronto. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you very much for having me on. Right. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your personal story. Well, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, I share this uh, as just one experience. I don't uh, purport to, um, to be an expert on the subject of alcoholism or addiction. Uh, and, uh, but I, 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 I personally found that when I heard other people's uh, stories, uh, who were uh, who also people who also called themselves alcoholics? Uh, I identified with that, and that experience of identifying with um, another alcoholic and and coming to see that I wasn't alone. Uh, that um, that I in fact had many of the same thoughts and feelings and uh, demons that somebody else did. Uh, helped me uh, uh, to a large degree get to the point where I was able to. Um, admit that I was an alcoholic, that I was powerless over alcohol, and that I needed uh, to get some assistance, uh, in, in my case, uh, to abstain uh, completely from alcoholism. Uh, different people uh, deal with it in different ways. And, and in my case, it, 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 there is not one mo- moment. There, is, there was a moment where I realized, uh, well, well, there was a day uh, more than seven years ago where I stopped, and it was a memorable day for me. But I, I um, along the way, um, between the ages certainly of 20 and uh, 40, I stopped drinking just short of my 40th birthday, uh, there were several moments where I made efforts to try and moderate and try to um, uh, drink like normal people or what I perceived normal people to be uh, drinking and uh, ultimately found that I, I could not control it and uh, realized that the, uh, that the way that I was going to uh, be able to live um, uh, a free and happy life um, uh, with my family, um, because when I stopped, I had two two young kids, and I had uh, been married for um, uh, over half a dozen years. Uh, was to stop altogether, but but it is a journey, and each person's story is different. Now, I want to just a quick comment to you. That sense of listening to other people's stories and feeling that you're not alone is something that comes across very clearly in all kinds of situations that I hear about on this show. So that's very powerful. And your story is part of that service now to others. Now, I want you, please, in the next question, to tell us about the role of alcohol in your life. What did it do, Michael? Oh, alcohol, uh, well, became uh, my uh, north, south, east, and west. Um, and 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 this is the uh, the um, the part of the uh, condition disease. You know, there there's some scientific debate about whether or not it's appropriate to call it a disease or not. I, I don't think we need to solve that now. Uh, but as a as a metaphor, it's like a, a disease, and certainly it's a condition. Uh, in any event, it it uh, really. Uh, uh, came to uh, take over my life, but you know, like most people, it didn't. It well, 
like many people, didn't start that way. Uh, I had a, a, a wonderful upbringing, a wonderful childhood. There was nothing about my childhood background um, that uh, would have led me to despair. Um, I, I uh, began by, um, by finding that alcohol gave me a confidence and, um, and a sense of um, uh, being, uh, almost self-worth, that I uh, wasn't uh, getting when I was sober. Uh, I, um, I was, however, uh, living a successful life. I mean, my story is one of a high-functioning alcoholic. Uh, I, as you said, I went to Harvard, and I uh, uh, received degrees there and a few degrees in Canada. I got elected at a young age, and I was the attorney general as an alcoholic, uh, as a practicing alcoholic, as someone who was drinking. Now, um, obviously, I was able to control it to the point where it, it, uh, it was not known to the public. Um, uh, and if it had been known, I'm sure it would have been an issue, but it wasn't. Um, and, you know, my experience is, is that many people can be very high-functioning. They can be presidents or CEOs. Uh, they can be politicians. Uh, obviously, we know about the famous celebrity artists, but, um, you know, they too are very high-functioning. Anthony Hopkins was an extremely high-functioning actor of the stage and theater, and at the same time, he since uh, explained that he had uh, to recover from alcoholism himself. So, um, it became, um, uh, it, it really became the most important thing in my life. It became a linchpin in my life. And, and I wasn't necessarily, uh, that wasn't an explicit realization, uh, but it became such an integral part of my life and not just uh, as a place to which I could escape um, and not just a ritual that I would follow uh, regularly, uh, in my case, at the end of the day, I wouldn't drink during the day. But um, but also, um, I spent an enormous amount of time near the end, uh, the last couple of years, uh, thinking about uh, supply. So uh, obsessed with when's my next drink? Where's it going to be? Am I am I going to have enough? Because I, you know, definitely the last thing I wanted was to run out of it. And, and this seemed to be, there's many, many uh, sort of checklists and questions you can ask yourself. And if you go on a website, uh, there's a, a checklist of 20 questions people can ask themselves. For me, it, it came down to three things. Firstly, um, it, when I took that first drink, did I know how the evening was going to end? And the answer was no. Um, knowing uh, this unpredictability and knowing that Taking that first drink could lead to harm in some way, if only uh, an unhappy spouse. Would I take it anyways? And the answer was yes. And thirdly, when I wasn't drinking, uh, was I thinking about the next drink all the time? And the answer was yes. And I find that people who um, uh, are normal drinkers, uh, none of those three apply, or they very, very rarely apply. And, and that seems to be what separates uh, the alcoholics from the non-alcoholics. Now, I'm going to ask you just very quickly to mention your book, 28 Seconds, A True Story of Addiction, Tragedy and Hope. Um, and we'll carry on in the next segment discussing the kind of things you um, cover in the book. So please, please outline some of the things about your book and why you wrote it. 
Well, um, I, I wrote the book in, uh, yeah, primarily to share this story so that other people might have the opportunity to identify with my experience, uh, particularly the high-functioning alcoholic, uh, but anybody, really. Uh, and I've had people from all walks of life who've uh, approached me afterwards and said, yeah, I read that story. I saw myself in it, um, particularly the chapter uh, where I describe my own um, alcoholic demise uh, in terms of uh, the drinking uh, life, and um, uh, and that was the primary reason for doing it. Um, it also talked about this extraordinary uh, event, tragic event uh, that happened that really changed my life literally in 28 seconds, uh, which is uh, a, an accident wherein uh, a man died. Um, I was charged with... Um, uh, but very serious indictable offenses uh, in Canada, criminal charges. Um, and uh, I went from uh, being um, uh, a, uh, a political leader uh, in waiting uh, to um, completely scandalized, uh, unemployed, and, um, um, you know, facing the prospect of a very, very different, uh, very, very different life. And so I discussed that journey. Um, along with, as it turned out, uh, the despair that came with the end of a marriage and with the death uh, of my uh, younger brother, all within a, a quite a brief period of a, of a few years, and 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 that's and that's basically the book in a nutshell. Right. Now, at this point, we're going to take the break. Um, this is where, uh, as I'm always tediously saying, um, we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Michael Bryant. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Michael Bryant. Our topic is Family Caregivers Helping Family Members Overcome Alcoholism. Let's talk about alcoholism, Michael, as you experienced it. Now, it's all based on your experience, this. Please tell us what alcoholism is when it's fully developed. Michael? Well, it is it is a it is a, um, 
uh, a sickness in the heart and an obsession uh, in the mind. Um, it, uh, it, uh, it really creates a, a, a selfish, um, uh, narcissistic existence uh, where the, the two most important people in the world of an alcoholic is uh, myself and, uh, and the drink. And um, uh, the later stages of alcoholism, there's um, isolation. Um, eventually, the you know person becomes quite dysfunctional and you know all but loses their life. And and it and it's because um, in my case, um, I imagined that I could uh, will myself um, through uh, personally will myself through. Um, the uh, really the hell of uh, being addicted to something, and that I could uh, somehow conquer this um, uh, again through this sort of narcissistic impulse that um, I was capable of of doing it, and I knew better than uh, you know all the um, evidence around me uh, when I cared to be honest with myself to uh, to see that um, in fact this was ruining my life and. Um, it, it, it is this um, uh, refusal to be honest with oneself um, that uh, is really the last stages uh, of alcoholism, uh, in my case, uh, and uh, near the end, um, thanks to um, a psychiatrist, uh, although, uh, you know, there, he really what he ended up prescribing uh, was n- no pharmacological um, uh, solution, but rather simply uh, took took me at my word uh, that I wanted to moderate my drinking, and told me uh, quite slyly, uh, as I talk about in my book, uh, just uh, that's fine. Just keep a journal, he said, and you keep a journal of how this is going. This two drinks a night uh, effort of yours, and you, he said you can lie to everybody, but just don't lie to that journal. And I did that, and it ended up allowing me to see myself uh, very clearly and see that I truly was not able to control this. I was not able to conquer this. I was not able to manage this in any way, shape, or form, that I was, was despite all my efforts, uh, truly um, powerless over uh, a substance that many people are able to manage, uh, but I was not able to manage, and, and it really is that, uh, the, for me, there's a point of uh, surrender, crossing over to the winning side, uh, where, yeah, okay, I, I'm powerless over this substance, and so I'm going to have to figure out how to live without it, notwithstanding the fact that um, it, uh, for the alcoholic, seems to be an indispensable part of life, and really, uh, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was stop drinking. Uh, but but uh, I can say seven years later, it's uh, without a doubt uh, the best thing I have ever done for myself and ever will do. Right. Michael, you mentioned stages of development of alcoholism. Please describe those as you experience them. Uh, y- y- you know, in the 
I, there's, uh, for most alcoholics, there's a, uh, well, again, I'll speak for myself. In my yeah. case, there was a period in which alcohol was a, a wonderful part of my life. It made me happy. Uh, it made me uh, funny, I thought. It made me interesting. It made me feel great. Um, I uh, enjoyed it in social settings, um, and, uh, and, and, I, and it seemed as if I was able to manage it, and maybe I was in my teens um, and, uh, and part of my 20s. And uh, for many people, that's the case, that they, there's a period of time where it works very well uh, for them. Uh, and then uh, at some point, that changes, and uh, especially in um, what I think uh, medicine would refer to as the late stages of alcoholism. In my case, it was the period in which I was drinking uh, certainly daily uh, for years and years and years, probably for, for the last decade, uh, for, for all of my 30s anyways. I was drinking every day, uh, almost without exception. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, even when I had a cold, even when I was taking, uh, say, an antibiotic for a flu that I, where I was told I shouldn't be drinking, I still was. Um, uh, hangovers were cured ultimately at the end of the day by alcohol. Um, and um, it was just, uh, um, and, and, and it gets um, progressively worse. Uh, it, it was certainly, that's the case for me and is often the case. That it, it might get a little better and then it'll get worse. And then it'll be two steps forward and then 10 steps back and then three steps forward and 20 steps back. But it does, over time, get progressively worse, such that, whereas I was, um, uh, an, you know, a very active um, uh, politician with a lot of ideas and a lot of energy, uh, near the later stages, near in the last year or so, uh, I, I just ran out of ideas. I felt like whatever talent I had was uh, at the end of a was like it was like pushing a, the, the toothpaste out of a tube that's just about done, and. Um, and it, it was uh, getting to the point where I was um, uh, inadvertently uh, making choices, but making choices nonetheless that um, uh, were putting booze ahead of my family and ahead of my career and ahead of certainly my own um, my own um, better judgment and, and well being and um, and and it's you know at that stage that. Uh, People get harmed. People in the family get harmed. Friends get harmed, um, and that's when people often uh, lose some or all of that. And um, you know, many people end up uh, entering into recovery uh, because they bottom out. They they've lost it all, and the surrender happens because they've lost it all, and it's become patently obvious that um, that their their life um, is in ruins. And the, you know, they finally realize that. something else. It was always, well, once I get this or once I get that, but in my case, you know, I, I had no shortage of success um, uh, in, in that I, I, you know, well, once I get elected, then I'll stop, you know, then I'll drink more moderately. And it didn't happen that way. Once I became the attorney general, well, then I'll moderate. Well, I, actually, I started drinking more than ever. Uh, so, you know, you, I would set these these uh, bars for myself, and then just like walk right through them time after time. And uh, I talk about this in in, in the book, um, twenty eight seconds. Right, Michael. What were the main challenges 
that alcoholism created for you, and when, why, and how did you decide to overcome them? Now, you've already mentioned some of those factors, but please bring them together in that sense of alcoholism's challenges for you and what you did about them. Well, the, the, um, I, it, it, I mean, firstly, it was, um, it was depriving me of, um, I mean, physically, I was, my, my tolerance started to decrease. You know, at the beginning of alcohol, my, you know, uh, at the beginning of my drinking career, uh, my tolerance to alcohol increased. Uh, at the end, it decreased, uh, which um, uh, is not uncommon. It's something to do with... Um, uh, our brain, uh, serotonin and uh, dopamine, but uh, I'm 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 not uh, I'm not the brain surgeon, but uh, there's a there's a biological response, um, and at some point uh, the body just loses its tolerance. Um, but uh, so physically, um, I I was. Uh, not enjoying it anymore, alcohol. I wasn't. Uh, it became a necessity, not a pleasure. Uh, the hangovers were um, just bone-crushing, uh, awful experiences. And, you know, time and, and opportunities were being... Uh, I was robbing myself of time and opportunities with my family in particular. I remember my um, uh, my then-wife, my, now my ex-wife, but um, uh, my then-wife saying, you know, you, you're missing... Saturday mornings with the kids because you're sleeping in because of these hangovers and, and she was uh, exactly right. I was missing, I was missing time with my children. I was missing out on opportunities in my career. I was, uh, I was certainly missing in action as a as a husband, and um, and depression uh, as well uh, uh, began in a significant way uh, for me. Uh, and at the end, I stopped uh, because. Uh, it had just become this absolute uh, riddle in my life that I couldn't solve, that I'd been wrestling with for years and years and years. And I tried uh, to uh, moderate it. I kept a journal, and for several months I kept a journal. And that journal is a, uh, you know, a, a showed me when I when I read it um, that, uh, and as I wrote it, of course, it forced me to. Um, to be uh, conscious and self-conscious about my behavior. I came to see that I was lying to myself. I was just telling myself I wasn't drinking very much. I was actually drinking a lot more than two drinks a, a, a night, even though that was supposed to be my goal. And, and I would try and convince myself that six plus two equals two. Um, it, was, um, it would be comic if it wasn't so tragic. Um, and uh, and then uh, I stopped. Um, I turned to uh, other people who uh, were alcoholics, and I ended up uh, going to a um, a. Uh, I, I ended up first reading a lot of memoirs from from alcoholics and addicts. I, I really identified with them. I was paranoid and full of delusions of grandeur. As uh, an attorney general, I thought uh, this was, you know, I couldn't possibly uh, uh, go into a treatment center or to a 12-step program without being recognized, and that's just not true. The 12-step the program, uh, programs that are anonymous are, in, are, you know, are often anonymous, truly anonymous, and it was in my case. Uh, and it was uh, working with other people in those rooms of recovery that I was able to um, uh, not only continue in sobriety, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you, you then have to, 
you know, alcohol had become such a linchpin to me. So now how do I live without it? Uh, where whatever uh, was a hole in my life, um, in my heart, in my soul, whatever, you know, how was I going to fill that hole that I was unsuccessfully trying to fill it with alcohol? And um, that's what the Rooms of Recovery provided for me. It was a group of people who were all struggling with this challenge, and and, and uh, many of them uh, successfully, but most of us uh, just just trying valiantly uh, to uh, get uh, initially to get by, uh, just survive, to stay dry, to stay sober, but eventually to 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 more than that, to thrive and really achieve a, a level of. Um, of happiness um, that I, I had I had not been able to uh, come anywhere near uh, while I was drinking. Just a very quick one. You you spoke of being robbed of opportunities, particularly as a result of hangovers, which left you unable or uninterested in um, to meeting with your kids, going out with the kids, those kinds of things. So in that sense. The alcohol was competing with you or with your life, uh, your normal life, and it got to the point, is this right, that it became intolerable for you, that competition? Well, I know that's a simplification, but that's No, no, that's exactly you? right. Well, it was competing with my life, and it, and it was winning uh, almost every time. And, uh, and it's in that sense that um, it, it becomes... Uh, it became for me the center of my life, and uh, I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, I didn't even realize it at the time that I stopped. I just realized that this, you know, that I, I I was powerless over this, and my life had become unmanageable. And I and I needed uh, to admit that, and then see how to live without it. Uh, and that's uh, and that's and that's what happened. Uh, but um, um, you know. Uh, <laughs> Near the end, it's uh, the, the 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 battle in the mind is you know on the one hand between um, recognizing yeah I know this this is a miserable existence uh, that I'm living right now and I want out of that. On the other hand, uh, you know I had convinced myself that this was an indispensable part of my life and I I really could not imagine um, life without it. Um, and it was like a loved one in that sense. Uh, and uh, it's sickening to say it now and to think it now, but it's in my past. And uh, and one of the things that happens to a recovering alcoholic is they come to see the role that it played. They come to see the harm that has been done, and they become full of shame uh, and uh, you know to the point of self pity. But they become full of shame, uh, understandably, over it. And they got to figure out a way to get on with life uh, and put that behind them uh, and make amends uh, where, where appropriate to people uh, who are owed amends. And there's inevitably lots of people who are owed amends, uh, who, uh, family members in particular, who had to live with this, uh, with uh, somebody in the grips of this um, disease. Michael, I'm going to stop you there because we have to take the break. So let's do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adelaide. My guest is Michael Bryant. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM, Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. 
We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Michael Bryant. Our topic is Family Caregivers Helping Family Members Overcome Alcoholism. Let's now talk about the role of family caregivers in helping family members who seem to have a drinking problem. So, Michael, in your experience of alcoholism, what are the warning signals that family caregivers should be aware of and how should they interpret these signals? Michael? Well, this is, uh, this is a tricky business because, um, uh, you know, in my experience... Um, and and, I, and I, I'm going to answer your question, but but let me do it a little differently. I think what I'd say to uh, a family caregiver is um, uh, it, it's it's really contrary to um, the selfless impulse of a family caregiver. But in fact, um, in my experience, for me uh, and my alcoholism, um, the best thing that uh, my spouse did uh, was to recognize the harm that it was causing her and to make sure that I was aware of that. And so uh, it's less about the behavior of uh, the alcoholic um, and more about uh, the harm being caused to the family caregiver. And um, you know, what was helpful to me uh, and, and did have an impact on me. Um, uh, to, uh, my, uh, my wife then, she, um, she, we, we never really, she never, uh, she put up with a lot uh, silently and she never said, you know, you're drinking too much until the end, until it got to the point where she was uh, humiliated. Um, she felt uh, like she was, you know, really uh, being, uh, abandoned. She was lonely uh, for her husband, who who was there sort of uh, physically, but in no other way. Uh, you know, he's present at the dinner table, but in in the morning he couldn't remember a thing that was said. Uh, and she said, uh, she didn't say, you know, you got to stop drinking so much. She said, you're, here's what your drinking is doing to me. And uh, you know, you humiliated me last night, and I never want to go through that again. That was awful. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm looking after the kids on the weekends and the mornings. You're missing out. That breaks my heart. But I could use a hand. Uh, these types of things, because um, uh, no, it, it, it's uh, in my case, nobody could have convinced me uh, that I was an alcoholic other than myself. It, it, it's a uh, 
it's a recognition uh, that one has to make oneself. That said, I have uh, friends uh, in who are, have recovered from alcoholism who initially went to um, uh, a rehabilitation center um, or a, um, uh, a treatment center or went into rooms of recovery of a 12-step program because their spouse had said, uh, you know, you're making my life miserable and you got to, you know, you got to do something about this. So that might be what drives them into the rooms in the first place. But what what makes the difference is 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 uh, self discovery. But so in that sense, the family caregiver has to care for themselves, and you know, sometimes to the point of um, of tough love, which uh, you know, I, I I recognize is easy to say <laughs> uh, because I uh, for, because you know I got some tough love in the sense that uh, she. She certainly shared with me her um, her grief and her despair, uh, but you know she didn't. Uh, she stayed with me. Uh, sometimes family care. Sometimes a spouse has to leave. Uh, sometimes a spouse has to separate. Uh, sometimes families, parents have to um, uh, create some distance. Um, you know, stop sending the money. Uh, you know that my experience was was not that my parents were enabling me, but. Um, Often it is the case that an alcoholic or addict um, uh, turns to other people to to get support for their habit, for their addiction, and it's it's a just a terrible, terrible situation for the for the caregiver because they want to give care, and they and they and they want to satisfy the person, they want to help them, uh, and yet some, but and yet uh, really. The best way for them to help them, in my view, and, and I know that there are contrary views, so I, I wouldn't want to suggest otherwise, but in my view, the best way for the family caregiver to care for that person is to look after themselves and to make sure that, that they're okay, that their kids are okay, and that um, the person realizes the consequences of, the alcoholic realizes the consequences of their behavior, that it is harming uh, other people. Michael, it's very important what you just said because in other contexts where the family caregiver sometimes the wife but not always um, is a family caregiver in a very very difficult situation the family caregiver uh, feels at first anyway that where the duty lies but and where that leads to is exhaustion physical and psychological and in some circumstances financial exhaustion mm-hmm. and so your point about the family caregiver making the point that the behavior of the alcoholic is hurting the family caregiver in a serious way i think is a very as you said it's a difficult message but i think it's a profoundly important one now i'd just like you just quickly to say if there's anything more that you'd like to add on that theme of the family caregiver taking care of herself or himself in these kinds of situations, anything more? Uh, the last thing is that uh, uh, that family caregiver is not alone. Uh, there are many people uh, in those shoes, and there are um, programs out there uh, including uh, Al-Anon, which uh, you know I'm I'm uh, not a member of. I'm a, uh, 
but I know of people who go to Al-Anon, uh, which is there for, um, uh, really, for uh, family caregivers of alcoholics. And um, I think that... Um, uh, for the, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think the family caregiver feels very much alone uh, in this battle, and and that they need not be. That there's no, absolutely no shame in uh, turning to others uh, to get help uh, who are in that same situation and have uh, and have uh, done what's necessary to, to take care of themselves, so that they can take care of other family members, uh, because it can uh, it can. Uh, just undo somebody, literally undo somebody, and uh, uh, the. Um, uh, so I, I just uh, share that I know the family caregivers who have done that and have uh, been the better for it. Right now, I'd like you to talk more about the challenges that uh, family caregivers experience as a result of uh, a family member's alcoholism. Um, Talk more about the kinds of challenges. You've mentioned several things, but kind of bring those together in a, in a picture of the challenges for the family caregiver. Well, you know, sometimes the challenges, you know, an alcoholic addict uh, um, often finds themselves entangled with the justice system at a certain point. It might be a drinking and driving charge. In the case of an addiction, it might be uh, the violation of some possession uh, offense. Um, or, um, you know, most of the people in our criminal justice system uh, are um, either suffering from an addiction or alcoholism or um, a mental illness of some sort. So um, I would you know, the caregiver is put in an impossible position often. It becomes a lot more than just um, having to uh, be miserable. Uh, it, it can involve, you know, putting up your life savings on bail. It can uh, obviously have an impact on one's finances, and uh, let alone the impact on one's health. And, uh, I, I, uh, you know, I think that the... Um, the severe consequences need to be recognized as such and not, uh, you know, not, not accepted as just sort of part of life. Um, yes, it's part of life uh, on the one hand, and, and there's plenty of despair and suffering that uh, everybody has to face and get through, and they do. But, um, the, you know, there, there, are, there are moments, I think, when a family caregiver, and this did not happen to me. I mean, I, I did not find myself... Um, uh, embroiled in the justice system, but many people do. Um, or, uh, you know, a family caregiver finds themselves, uh, you know, uh, in financial ruin, as you referenced. Um, I think that um, uh, also, you know, we're focused on spouses, but uh, children, uh, parents, um, uh, grandparents, uh, and friends. Uh, you know, I, I had uh, a, a good friend uh come to me. I didn't have many friends who talked to me. Or, uh, many people were surprised afterwards. Um, uh, some, sorry, some people were surprised afterwards when I uh, came out uh, and told my story. Um, but uh, I did have a couple friends uh, who said to me, uh, I want you to know uh, I, you know, I, I saw. I, you know, I think you you were too intoxicated that uh, the other night. I think it's uh, I think it's harmful for your career. I think it's harmful for your reputation. Very difficult thing for a friend to say, um, and uh, and yet uh, you know these things often do have an impact. Uh, they might not be at the time. Of course, they're greeted with anger and defensiveness. Um, 
but, uh, you know, which is why it's not something that one does lightly, but it, it does um, in the long run have, uh, have an impact. So I, I guess what I'd say is there's so much dishonesty and deceit wrapped up in alcoholism that a family caregiver uh, ought not to add to it. Um, and that the more honesty that person can bring to the, to, the, uh, to the relationship, to the situation, the better. The more dishonesty, the more covering up, the more uh, deluding oneself uh, about the alcoholic in their, in their family, uh, the worse it is. So uh, uh, light, light, good, darkness, bad, uh, I guess would be the only other thing I'd add. That's profoundly important because it also makes the point that reality needs to be faced in some way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that the truth of the situation, what you call the light, um, really does shine clearly in such a way that a family caregiver who's saying enough, I need help, doesn't also get devoured with guilt or a feeling of failure or having uh, not performed the duty that was expected of them. And, and, and that's right. And part of that honesty is, is turning to others for help, is turning yeah. to others and saying, I'm, I'm hurting over here and I need help because I've got somebody in my life whose uh, substance abuse is, is ruining my life. So it, it and often... You know, one thinks that they need to protect that person's reputation or they, they feel like they're betraying them or they're ashamed. More often than not, they're just ashamed themselves yep. for being a part of it. And, uh, and one just has to put that aside and, and, uh, and come to realize that the most honest thing to do is to reach out for help uh, right. and, and to bring that to bear, as you said. Now, it, let's take the break again. This is Dr. Gordon Everly, and my guest is Michael Bryant. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM, Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Michael Bryant. Our topic is family caregivers and safe drive... Sorry, and... Family caregivers and alcoholism. Um, let's now talk about 
the things that you want to do and see done to help family caregivers in a way that helps them as well as their family members. And also, please would you share with us your message for family caregivers uh, with family members with drinking problems. So, first of all, what more do you want to do to improve help for family caregivers with family members with alcoholism? You know, I think that there are, uh, from a public policy perspective, uh, because... um, uh, alcoholism and addiction has such a profound impact on people's lives, um, such a profoundly negative impact on people's lives. Uh, it impacts um, really just about every part of government services that we have. Um, it uh, impacts our education system, our health care system, uh, our justice system. But we tend to think of it as a medical condition, uh, something for which, you know, treatment needs to be made available, uh, um, uh, th- you know, through, um, through our health care system. But the, the level of understanding uh, and acceptance, there's still such a stigma attached to alcoholism and addiction uh, today, um, you know, which is one of the reasons that I um, uh, talk about it, uh, so that uh, people can feel comfortable talking about it, uh, because uh, it, is, uh, it is a morality-free um, uh, condition, uh, but um, you know, nonetheless, it is uh, one that uh, for which there's a lot of stigma attached, and, and uh, I, I think most people are a lot more forgiving than than one would realize. But in any event, there still is. So, um, uh, a greater coordination, really, between uh, the education system, uh, healthcare system, and the justice system, uh, recognizing that there are different access points uh, to provide assistance. Uh, for either the family to the child uh, um, in the public school system um, through to um, uh, the uh, the justice system where uh, I mean often that is the first point of contact for an alcoholic or addict with um, the state is through the justice system and yet uh, the justice system is as I write about in my book uh, uh, blind uh, to addictions and alcoholism uh, we pay lip service to rehabilitation uh, in our justice system as if uh, our correctional system is doing that, but, but it's not. Um, and it's certainly not in Canada or in the United States. Uh, most people who go into the um, justice system come out of it the worse for wear. Um, uh, secondly, uh, many uh, it, it's often the case uh, that people are uh, dealing with alcoholism in their family, uh, themselves struggling with an addiction. Uh, we call them, in, in my world, we call them double winners, uh, sarcastically. Uh, namely, uh, they've got an alcoholic in their life, and they may, too, be suffering from alcoholism. And uh, these things, the timing of these things often don't work uh, out well together. Um, uh, there is... Um, Um, uh, a lot of evidence to suggest that alcoholism uh, may be genetic, it may be uh, hereditary. Certainly, you often will see it running through the family. Um, And so somebody may be the son or daughter of an alcoholic and and have... um, uh, and tend to, uh, in their relationships, gravitate to other alcoholics, and they m- themselves may be uh, suffering from substance abuse. Uh, th- this makes it uh, obviously uh, 
uh, a terrible challenge for them. And, and, you know, again, the first step has to be to take care of oneself so that you're able to be selfless. Um, uh, the alcoholic ultimately comes to see, or rather, I, I came to see that the selfish existence uh, and the life uh, of me, myself, and I, and my booze um, uh, vastly transcended by a, a more selfless life, one where I was able to uh, give uh, to my family, where I was able to make a contribution to society, and uh, you know, uh, often assist other alcoholics and addicts, and that the uh, satisfaction, uh, the and the you know, tremendous joy that comes from that, from assisting people, from helping people, particularly uh, who are suffering, uh, is like nothing else, and uh, eclipses that uh, uh, what turns out to be uh, lame and, and dark experience of alcoholism. Um, uh, by um, by leaps and bounds. Uh, so uh, you know, there's 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 much for uh, um, uh, us all to do. But uh, you know, I, first and foremost, I, I think the less we see this as a moral condition, uh, set aside judgments as to the causes, uh, focus on the effects. You know, in the sense of uh, being honest about uh, the impacts, the consequences being honest with oneself about how alcoholism is affecting the family caregiver, how alcoholism may have overtaken one's life. Um, really, the, the need to um, be rigorously honest uh, with oneself about the condition, about the disease in their life, in the many ways in which it may be impacting a person, um, is not something that someone has to do alone. And that uh, the worst part of, the, of alcoholism seems to be uh, isolation for uh, the the sufferer uh, um, in every sense for the person who is uh, has the substance abuse um, addiction and for the family members everybody seems to isolate and uh, it's really the the best prescription is to open up uh, reach out and uh, get help uh, from people who are going through this themselves. Okay. Now, very briefly, what more would you want the healthcare system to do to improve help for family caregivers? Well, I, I think that um, the um, the I mean, I I, I personally uh, am a there's a there's a divide within the healthcare system as to whether or not uh, harm reduction or uh, abstinence is the best approach. I, I, you don't actually have to make a choice. Uh, harm reduction is uh, um, uh, can be seen as a means to an end or an end in and of itself. Uh, from my perspective, it seems like it's better viewed as a means to an end, uh, a, a, a route, um, a pit stop on the way to abstinence for the alcoholic or the addict. Um, the the state of uh, treatment, um, and uh, and it's not just the funding, but uh, it's also uh, the recognition uh, that uh, the solution for alcoholism for me uh, came from abstinence. So the the question that the healthcare system needs to ask is, how can we direct people towards that solution? Um, right. There's um, and and you know that is you know in some ways it's quite simple. People do it either by going to a treatment center, a residential treatment center, or uh, you know if that's not possible, then they uh, go to a local treatment center and and if you know they have a place to stay, then that's where they live. Uh, oh, and uh, uh, before, during, or after, the 
they go to um, a 12-step program or some other group program where they're able to talk to other people who are going through this. You know, the 12-step programs are all free, literally, uh, will not accept funding from outside sources. The treatment centers um, are not cheap, but... Um, uh, nor are they, uh, you know, uh, in, you know. There's no medical technology involved. They're not cheap in the sense that there's bricks and mortars and beds and specialists there. But by and large, it's a place to get away, to rest, and and to and to recover, to detoxify, and then uh, to force somebody to be honest with themselves and start uh, getting on with very different life habits. Um, okay. uh, Michael, uh, I ha- unfortunately, I have to stop you there because we're running into a time block. Just very quickly, in a matter of seconds, what's your message to family caregivers with family members with drinking problems? What's, what really do you want to say to them? Oh, it's, I, I think that alcoholism is, um, is, is, uh, is, is there. It's just a part of many people's lives. Uh, that uh, it should be no surprise and there's no shame in it, but it is a part of people's lives, many people's lives. To be honest about it, to recognize it, to see no shame in it, to reach out for help uh, from others, um, and uh, and ultimately just to accept um, that it is a part of life, that it is something for which recovery is uh, very possible, and that uh, for the suffering alcoholic and for the person who's living with one, uh, there is um, another side. Uh, there is a life of sobriety that is uh, quite uh, um, infinitely that is infinitely better uh, than than the life in alcoholism, and that uh, surrender is the way to get there. And it simply means abstaining from alcohol uh, on the one hand, which is uh, uh, sometimes a uh, an extremely hard lesson to accept, but it's nonetheless it can be the uh, you know the best lesson that one can undertake in one's life, um, and uh, and 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 also just to say that um, the experience of of being able to give back and assist others uh, ends up being a surprise chapter in one's life and uh, can lead to uh, just uh, tremendous satisfaction and some wonderful experiences and some of the best experiences of my life. Thank you, Michael. Um, and sadly, we have to stop now because of the tyranny of time. But I want to say a particular thank you to you for sharing with us all your insights and your advice so, so, so clearly. And I also want to congratulate you on your courage. Um, you have courageously faced down alcoholism and you have courageous, courageously chosen in your book, in the media, and on this show to talk about your story in a way that's going to give other people hope and confidence that the kind of things you're arguing for can be achieved. So thank you very much indeed. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested um, in... um, being guest on the show and in our next episode we'll talk about family caregivers and safe driving for seniors please join us same time same spot on the internet talk to you then thank you again for joining us this week for family caregivers unite with your host dr gordon atherley 
Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.